um, Revelation 15 and 16, and I'll do it a little bit slower than that uh, rabid uh, business. Anyway, bear with me. It's fairly long, but I'll do my best. It's headed seven angels with seven plagues. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and over his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying of the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who were and who, who are the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, 
and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the day, for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done! Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, Huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. This is the word of the Lord. So Armageddon, we're at Armageddon. Um, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> I was really trying to find a way to, like, connect the Bruce Willis film with this, but there's just really no connection. And so we're going to set that aside. And, um, and try to focus on, on what's actually happening here um, and, and try to embed ourselves rather in the story of, of the Bible to date, right? And, and the way that this, this passage is kind of so deeply soaked in what God's been saying since he first spoke um, at creation. Um, so this is the final judgment. This is, this is the great and terrible day of the Lord. And, um, and we start in the throne room which is the same throne room that was pictured as this glorious and happy place um, in Revelations 5, um, which happened to be the last time I was up here. Um, so I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, Revelations 4 and 5. Um, and, it's predict- and if you remember, there's a sea of glass, and there's the elders with chairs around, um, and there's the four living beasts singing praises to God in Revelation 4 and 5. Um, and today, the, the one hook I want us to, to um, remember at the start of this is that we still see that sea of glass, and so we're taken right back to that moment. Um, but this is the sea of glass mingled with fire. So the, the sea of glass, and, and even heaven itself, and the throne room, is now mixed up. There's, there's turmoil in, in heaven itself um, because um, God's wrath is about to be finished. So as we think about um, this wrath um, and this God's uh, final judgment, I want us to move from where we start a lot of times when we think about God's wrath and God's judgment, which is, this is horrible. You know, we look at these, at these disasters that are falling on these people, and we're just kind of, you know, horrified at it. And this is one of the reasons Revelation has such a dark view and why movies like Armageddon or the end of the world or Apocalypse Now, right? The, the, the phrases that are attached to Revelation um, always come with 
you know, bad imagery in our, in our media um, because we look at, at these disasters. Um, but what I, what I want us to, to go through tonight is a, a journey that hopefully leaves us um, with a couple points about this, this final judgment. Um, one is that it's, it's been richly announced and it's richly embedded in the story of the Bible. This isn't, this isn't an outlier. Um, this is deeply embedded um, in God's story and God's, um, God's designs. Um, the, the second is that God's, even though it's, it's so deeply anticipated, it's very slow and it's very targeted, that, that God doesn't rush it out, um, but he takes his time and will kind of unpick those, those seven bulls and see um, almost a hesitation um, in all of it. But the last point that I want us to end with is, is where it seems like heaven ends up on this, which is that God's, God's judgment, God, the great and terrible day of the Lord, is glorious and it's liberating. That it's, that it's at the end of the day, it's, um, it's a good news story that the people in heaven, the saints and the angels, are really excited about, even as God takes his time. So let's get to um, the rest of the Bible and uh, we'll read through it. It won't take us more than a year. And, um, and then we'll understand the, uh, the, the day of judgment. Um, so these chapters, and, and like most of Revelation, um, these chapters are, are deeply soaked in God's story. Um, the first time I read Revelation, I was probably younger than legacy age. Uh, my junior high Sunday school teacher took it upon himself to re- bring us through Revelation when I was about maybe 12. Um, and reading it back then, I didn't really get it. It was very weird. The imagery was all brand new to me, and I didn't, I didn't really understand. Um, but as we've, we've gone through it in this latest sermon series, or over the past year, um, what I've been really struck by, um, thanks to some great teaching, is, that, is how, how many of those images, and also because I've been part of a church for a while, and I've absorbed a lot of those imageries and spent more time in the prophets and in the Old Testament. Um, how much of Revelation is just referencing, referencing the Old Testament? I was going to put up some references um, on here, but literally this passage has hundreds of reference points um, throughout the Old Testament. And, and there's a couple that I really want us to think about. Um, one is probably the most talked about event in the Old Testament which is um, one of God's biggest moments, um, which is the liberation from Egypt, that, um, that God pours out his wrath um, on Pharaoh for a de- very deliberate purpose, which is to liberate his people from Egypt, to liberate them from slavery. And, um, and, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of moments in here that, that are like this. So one, we get the plagues, and a lot of these plagues are direct references to the plagues of Egypt. Um, but they're scaled up to the whole created order, that God strikes the sky, the land, the sea, um, with the same plagues that he hits Egypt with. And so we're thinking about the liberation from Egypt and where God brings his people out of oppression. There's also, um, God is, at this point, he's not in the temple but he's in a tent. There's a reference to the tent or the tabernacle, which is another reference to Exodus, and where God lived in a temporary dwelling for years and years, 
um, at, at his direction, that he didn't have a permanent home, that he was looking forward to the promised land along with his people and was with them in there. He was with his people, but he was in a temporary dwelling. And that God's not in the new Jerusalem here. He's not in the final temple. He's looking forward to that um, along with us. And so he sends out his judgment from this temporary dwelling. Um, in the tent. So we have the tabernacle, we've got the plagues of Egypt, um, and we have an unrepentant oppressor, right? Babylon and the people that are signed up to his regime, um, or her regime, as it's pictured. <clears throat> um, so those are some of those, the, the big stories, and how this, you know, if you're reading this, uh, having grown up with the Old Testament, um, you're immediately thinking about Egypt, you're immediately thinking about the wilderness. The other major reference point um, that I want us to think about is a few weeks ago, we had the trumpets, the trumpet call, um, the seven trumpets, where God uh, unleashes uh, an initial judgment, right? A partial judgment. And Eddie talked about that as a number of alarm clocks going off, people dying in, in huge disasters, as alarm clocks going off that, hey, there's, there's something bad is coming here. And, and, if you look, you know, bowl by bowl and trumpet by trumpet, it almost lines up exactly um, of a bowl for a trumpet. And so this is, you know, narratively speaking for the book of Revelation, the characters are living through this again, right? This isn't unexpected. They've been through this exact um, sequence of disasters, and, um, and this is well foretold. Uh, the, other, the other point here is... Um, is that, and, and maybe something that connects a bit more with our experience, is we have these bowls, and, and God's wrath is poured out from these bowls. He's filled up these bowls, and he pours them out. And, and these bowls show up a couple times in Revelation. One is in chapter 5, where the bowls are, um, are filled up with the prayers of the saints. They're filled up, and then and it burns like incense in this throne room. So we've got the, the bowls burning incense as the prayers of the saints, and then they reappear, or that there's a censer, um, effectively a, a bowl, um, in uh, chapter, the start of chapter 8. Um, and this one, another angel came at the altar with a golden censer, and he gave much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar. And the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, which is exactly what's happening here in Revelation 8. So the, so, and so there, there's a connection there that I think is there between the prayers that we pray to God, um, the, the longing that we have for healing, the longing that we have for, for freedom, and these bowls getting filled up, that in some um, symbolic way, God's filling up bowls with our prayers. And every one of those prayers... Um, makes God more eager to cleanse his world um, of evil and decay and oppression and more eager to, to bring about his righteous reign. He really wants to fulfill those prayers that are, that are going into the bowl right now. And so it's deeply embedded in the story that we're all part of, in the story of the Bible. And so when we get to the actual, the actual judgment... And we'll come back to chapter 15 and reflect on that um, at the end. But 
as we go through these bowls, there's a lot of anticipation built into this, right? That even heaven itself, the sea of glass is disturbed, and there's the prayers of the saints that are there, and, and there's this history of God um, setting people free, um, sometimes with, uh, with some serious judgment. And as we, as we look at the actual judgments, I want to think about two things. One, that it's targeted, and two, that it is slow, that God judges but with patience. He judges while still offering salvation. So who is being judged? Well, we're, we're gassed at the scale. This is a planetary disaster. <clears throat> but a number of times throughout this passage, like in verse 2, um, these, uh, these judgments come on the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And this takes us back to those symbolic images that we rushed through um, in uh, the previous couple chapters of the beast and the woman Babylon, and the, the two beasts. And, and the people who have, who have taken this mark um, are the people who have bought into the system. They're on board. They're on board with the empire. They're on board with um, how things are going. And, um, and that's who God's, who, who God's trying to shake away. And, and these people who've bought into the system, they refuse to repent a number of times, um, from uh, in verse 8, uh, in verse 11, um, they curse God and refuse to repent of their deeds. They refuse to repent um, and give him glory. Um, they're, they're, they, don't know, they don't want to turn around. And the implication there is that they could repent, right? God sent, God sent Jonah to Nineveh, and it was a horrible regime like what's been pictured in Revelation, a very real-world example of, of one of the worst regimes to ever exist in the world. And God sent Jonah, and they, and they heard the news, and they repented. And, and these people are refusing to repent. There's an opportunity that God wants to offer salvation. He's extending the offer over and over, even as he comes up to the very end of his judgment. He's longing to welcome them into his family. The, the next point is, is they, they know what's happening, right? They, they don't just say, this is a disaster. They, they turn around and they curse God. And as they, as they move through, <clears throat> they don't just curse God, but they, they get together. They say, hey, we got to take the fight to this guy. We got to go to um, God's people and, um, and we've got to attack them. They're the cause of this disaster. So they're not un- unaware. This isn't... This isn't somebody on the far end of the world who's never heard the gospel. And, and that's a theological question that we're not going to touch on tonight. Because here, what this is talking about is people who know who God is, and they're, they're cursing God. I, I'm a huge fan of, of comedy, stand-up comedy, improv comedy. Um, maybe it's just because I grew up in America, but um, I'm a huge fan. But, but one, one of the things you notice there is, is a lot of times the punchline, or, or any time judgment is, is brought up, um, people kind of assume a certain knowledge of, of what God's up to, right? They, they assume, and, 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 and they laugh that, well, God's just kind of angry all the time, right? Um, that he ends up being a punchline, right? That there's some understanding of, of who God is, especially in kind of a, a Western uh, Christian society that's kind of woven into the fabric of our education in a lot of ways. Um, and God ends up being a punchline, they don't, they don't turn around um, and, and repent and, and follow God. Um, 
And, and, and in a way, you know, that's, those are the people that when, when, it, when push comes to shove, are they going to turn or um, are they inoculating themselves and um, will curse God for these disasters? Um, so they take the fight back to God. And, and this, this note about um, in verse 16, Armageddon, it's a kind of a, a well-known word. Um, <clears throat> and this is, again, another reference to the Old Testament where Megiddo was a, pl- a plain where a lot of the Old Testament battles took place between God's people and ex-opponent. Um, it, was, it was a very convenient place to have a battle in the style that they did back then. Um, and so God's, you know, the, the enemies of God and, and the empire are gathering to take the battle and they're, they're going to go back to the promised land and, and fight God's people. And, um, and they're taking matters into their own hands. And, and you might think, well, hey, this is a really heroic story. This is the Battle of Thermopylae, right? They're going to stop the Persians and they're going to stop this seventh bull and they're going to, they're going to um, you know, pull victory out of the jaws of defeat. Um, and and in, in the context of that, where they're marching out, they're going to they're gonna save the day, <clears throat> Jesus himself interrupts that not only has he been offering repentance, um, but he interrupts. He, he interrupts the story, stops the narrative, and says, behold, I am coming like a thief. This is, this is re-quoting Jesus in, in Matthew and, and uh, uh, the Gospels. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments on, so that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. So Jesus himself interrupts the story. He says, guys, guys, please repent. Don't do this. Don't do this. Let's, let's go back. Let's do another Nineveh. Let's turn around. He's not eager to pour out this judgment. He's not eager for this, uh, this to be poured out and for uh, this, um, these people to be uh, taken with this judgment. And so, so we have God continually offering repentance, continually offering repentance. And the people continue to reject it, even as they're being judged. And, so, and, so that's, and that's difficult. We, we know people in our lives who, haven't, who aren't repenting. We know people who, who reject, reject God, who think, hey, I just want to live my life. Leave me alone. And so I want us to return back to chapter 15 and think about, well, actually, man, this is, this is glorious and this is liberating. Let's go and, and listen to what the angels are saying. Let's listen to what um, the people, the, the saints who have been killed by this, by this empire, who, you know, despite people being on board with it, they're not on board with it because they know the, the harsh edge of oppression. And, and we see these angels and these martyrs um, interrupt with two songs. They come up with these two songs. One of them in, ver- in chapter um, 15 from verse 3, um, it says it's the song of Moses. So again, another reference to the Old Testament where they cross, they finally wipe out the Egyptian army, or God wipes out the Egyptian army. It wasn't a man-made war here. Um, and there's a song of Moses. But the interesting thing about this this these particular verses, is that these aren't really part of the actual Song of Moses. They aren't, they aren't at all referenced there. But it's actually a compilation of a couple psalms, a, a poem in Deuteronomy, some of the prophets. And so what John's done is he's composed a poem here that pulls together 
all of God's people's longing for justice, for longing for liberation, and, and celebrating that God has promised uh, liberation for them. Just and true are your ways, O King of the ages. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So they're celebrating. They're, they're, they're really excited that God's actually going to do this. And why are they so excited? It's because they know what's on the other side, right? They know that, hey, once we're, we're free of this, of this oppressive regime, Jesus is going to be in control. He's going to set up his kingdom. We're going to get to the new creation. We're going to get to the new Jerusalem. And, and God's finally going to um, stop the suffering here. And, and this, is, this is hard. It's hard, to, it's hard to get into that moment. I think sometimes we're in a moment where we look around and we're like, well, I, I kind of like how things are. You know, I kind of am you know, maybe not on board with everything my country is doing. Um, but broadly speaking, I'm not in too bad a way, and, and they've done some good in the world. And sometimes we're in the position of Psalm 73, where um, from verse 2, and this, this is a great psalm kind of trying to access the joy that we see in Revelation 15. But in Psalm 73, we, we find in verse 2, um, as for me, my feet had stumbled, my steps had slipped, for I was env- envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. And in verse 13, all in vain I kept my, hand, my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. And, so, and the psalmist, he's meditating on this and he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. So he meditates and, and God reveals to him that actually judgment is coming someday for those who are, are on board with um, oppression and, and reject the lamb, who reject the forgiveness of Jesus. Um, and, and there's a real, there's a real um, sense here um, in uh, 15 and then in, in 16 where you know, an angel interrupts the, the judgments and says, just are you, holy one, um, for they have shed the blood of your, blood of your prophets. And, and then the altar, which is all the, the saints by the altar, right? The ones who had worn the white cloths and who had been slain for uh, their loyalty to Jesus, said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Um, <clears throat> and I think we get a sense of this. Uh, there are kind of small moments in our life. I think a lot of times when you're watching a movie and you get to that resolution at the end, you know, the eagles are coming. You get that, that oh, yeah. There's, there's light at the end of the tunnel that Babylon's not going to win this. Um, I grew up in America during the War on Terror, so I was raised with a lot of kind of propaganda about um, how great America was as a country. Um, and and there, was, there was this real sense of like, yes, when Obama got up in 2011 and announced that we had gotten Osama bin Laden. There was a sense of like, you know, and, and it, was, it was close to this unmitigated, you know, like, yes, we, we did it, guys. We're free now. Um, but, but again, all of those moments, I hesitated to bring up any moment because um, all of them are partial. There, there's, some, there's another side to the story. They're all mixed with our own evil. We're simply a farce of this true vindication at the end, right? Um, and so, and so we're kind of in this moment in, in our world, in our life. We don't see this, this end state. And so we really have to, to uh, trust God and, and, and meditate on his word 
um, and, and the story that he's been building since Egypt of setting us free. And there's, there's one more um, reference here, um, which is that in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and then a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne. So that's coming directly from the mouth of God, saying, it is done. It is finished. God destroys and defeats evil just as he did on the cross. That if we go to the cross, God defeats evil and he clears the way for us to repent, for us to enter into the celebration that the new, the new Jerusalem's coming. And here he, he completes the story, right? That the, the kingdom that started on Calvary is, is, finally, is finally finished, that the, the, I mean, is finally completed, Right? that the victory of the lamb is, is finally uh, finished. And his people, you can sense it in this passage, they're ready for liberation. And, and they're ready to, to get up on Capitol Hill and say, free at last, free at last. Because they're finally liberated from all the things that get us down, all the things that cause decay in our world. And so as, as we think again, we reflect back on, on Nigel's talk of uh, where we left off this series. We have a choice. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, he started, he started his victory, but he's also opened the way. He's left a long gap for us to turn and repent, to listen to, to the judgments, to listen to his story and say, do you want to be on the side of, of a liberated slave or on the side of, of the, 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 the number of empires that God has seen to the door? We have a choice to turn to Jesus, to listen to, those, listen to that call and, and look forward to liberation um, in the end. Let's pray. Dear God, we, uh, we thank you so much that uh, you've been telling the same story for so long, God, um, that, and that you set captives free, that you set us free from our sin and decay, and ultimately, God, you set us free from, uh, from Adam's sin and from the decay in our world. And God, I just pray that um, you would open our hearts to that, that you would tune our hearts to, those, um, to that song so that we can join in the prayers of the angels and the prayers of the saints who long for that day. In Jesus' name, amen.